Hello and welcome to Some Other Sphere, a podcast exploring our strange world, one conversation at a time, hosted by Rick Palmer. My guest for this episode is Kiki Dombrowski. Kiki is a spiritual researcher and explorer and has spent her life studying mythology, magic, witchcraft and the supernatural. She has been reading tarot for over 25 years and is the author of two books, the latest of which, A Curious Future, is a guidebook to some of the more unusual techniques people have used over thousands of years to try and predict the future. Currently living in Nashville, Tennessee, Kiki is also a really positive and generous presence on social media when it comes to all things weird and wonderful, and it was a delight to get her on the podcast to talk about her life and work. Lovely stuff as ever. Enjoy! Kiki, welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you're very welcome. You're, you're such a positive presence on Twitter talking about all things weird, so I, I knew I had to have you on. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that's that's sweet to say. Yeah, I, I keep it positive and keep it weird. Those are good mantras to live by. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that might be my, uh, if I was in Game of Thrones, I think that might be my, my house motto or something. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> Cool. So um, before we get talking about your book, I just want to talk about you for a little bit, if that's okay. Um, when you were growing up, what, what was it that drew you towards the more esoteric side of things? Wow. Um, that's a great question. I think that even as a, as a young girl, I, I, I may have been what you would call peculiar. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I had imaginary friends. Um, I really enjoyed time out in nature and I was also quite solitary. Um, and so I found myself immersed in art and in, um, and in books. And, and as I grew a little bit older, probably around adolescence or so, that is when I started taking to maybe the esoteric side of things. And that's mostly in part because I was having experiences, um, you know, I was, I was able to really interact with, with the world of the supernatural. Um, and then also I, I discovered tarot, not through any sort of mystical encounter, but actually through television. There was a show called my so-called life, which I don't know if, if you, if you ever saw it, but it was this sort of like a young adult drama. And, um, the main character was um, given a, a deck of tarot cards and I thought they looked cool. And I was very fortunate in that my mother was supportive of me thinking that tarot was cool. So she took me down to this, this, you know, metaphysical new age shop in town. And the, the, the owner there hooked me up. They were very kind in helping me find a tarot deck and kind of explaining how to use them. And they found me a book and, and, and I was well on my way. So very, very early on, it was just, it just all clicked in place. I was having these experiences and, and, and it almost seemed like maybe it was fate that, that all this stuff just kind of easily came into my life and was handed to me. And, and I was given, given some good support along the way. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's interesting you say that sometimes you can imagine that it, something very unusual must happen to sort of bring you into to garner an interest in this kind of thing. But but like you were just saying there, tar the tarot cards just look cool. They're, it's something that kind of stokes an interest, isn't it? I, I think when you talk to most people about how they sort of become interested in the paranormal, it's often, it'd be like something in a TV show or a book or, or something, and they'll just it'll just spark that, that initial fire that, that grows and becomes a, a fascination. Yes. And I think that that's something that we need to be excited about and encourage. Um, you know, I, 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 there may be that desire to say that, you know, the tarot came to me because this eagle swooped down on the solstice and I had this vision of the hermit card and all of a sudden it came to me. It's, it, it's not that way. It, you know, especially in, in, in 2019, almost 2020, you know, we encounter things through social media. And, and I think that's really exciting. Go down the rabbit hole. If, if, it if it intrigues you, go down the rabbit hole, enjoy it, find some, some more information on the topic. And it's okay to just think something looks cool <laughs> and then follow it and, and see where it takes you. Mm, definitely. Has your 
interpretation of what the tarot is changed the, the more that you've practiced it? I mean, how was it how was it explained to you in that shop when you got your first deck? Wow. Oh, it's it's definitely evolved. And I think that tarot has evolved as well. It's definitely a living form of divination. So as as it develops the interpretations of it develop and most certainly my relationship with tarot has developed. I think that, you know, as, as somebody who's, you know, 13 years old going into a shop to learn tarot, they probably toned it down a little bit, you know, um, trying to think of of the best way to put it. It was more very um, structured, very, um, you know, this is a tarot deck, a tarot deck has 78 cards. So very gently introducing it to me and not going into the, um, the, the finite details or maybe the um, psychic premonitions or, you know, it was almost like this is, this is the handbook for the tarot. Let's start there with step one. And I'm grateful for that too, because you know, <laughs> I, I always say that tarot is a bit like learning a musical instrument. Hmm. So when somebody learns a musical instrument, you know, there are prodigies and they might pick up the violin and they're just able to play it really, really well, really, really quickly. And there are other people like me who, <laughs> if I picked up a, a violin, I probably would have to go to lessons day after day after day. Um, but no matter what, you know, when you learn a musical instrument, it, it's always evolving. There's never a point where you've learned so much, you've hit a cap and there's nothing else to learn. Um, and the same goes with tarot. So, you know, over time, I honestly, I could look at a tarot card and see something in it that I haven't thought about for years or haven't thought about ever. Um, there are always little hidden symbols. There's always these little hidden images that, 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 that sneak out and, 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 and nudge you when, when you need to see it the most. So um, th- those are kind of the insights that I learned over the years of, of working with it. But I think that, that, that when I started, it was definitely just much more simple and structured. And I'm thankful for that. But <laughs> as I've grown with the tarot, um, I've learned that it could be a very complex and very, very spiritual and mystical system, which is even cooler. <laughs> no, I, I totally agree. I have to admit, I when I started trying to learn tarot i did find it a bit overwhelming because like you say there are there are 78 images there and trying to understand the combinations of cards yeah i mean i'm not sure if i was trying to run before i can walk or i was just perhaps overcomplicating it myself it's but i I think the best thing what i found is that the best thing to do is just to kind of keep doing readings for yourself and see what you can get from the cards is that is that something that you think is kind of the the correct way of doing things? Yeah, I think so. Um, It is. It is complex. Um, And it is overwhelming when you first get a deck of tarot cards and you just go, oh my God, how am I going to memorize this? How am I possibly going to figure this out? And and I think you're right that, that practice does make perfect. So even going back to that musical instrument idea where you know, the more you practice the violin, the, the prettier it's going to sound. And the more you practice reading tarot, the more fluent you will be in the language of, of the cards. And um, the, the easier it will be, it, it will just become easier for you to look at the cards and go, oh, yeah, I know what this means. Mm. Um, it takes a long time to feel confident enough to just say, well, this is what the card says. And if you agree with it, that's wonderful. Let's follow that thought. Or if it doesn't resonate with you right now, let's put it on the back burner and kind of look at other potential meanings of what this can mean for you. Um, But to go back to your point, I think that practice makes perfect. Yes. And it could be as simple as just pulling one card, looking at it and going without looking at the book, without even opening the book first just look at the card and say, how do I feel when I look at this card? If I was one of the people in this card, how would I feel? How would I be reacting to the scene around me? Um, And that could be a very, very powerful thing as well. So if you were the hermit, the hermit 
I'm using the hermit because it's such an iconic symbol. Led Zeppelin used it on an album cover. But imagine if you were the hermit. So you're looking at the hermit card and the hermit is kind of like on this mountain peak holding a lantern. You know, how would you feel in that setting? So I think it's personalizing the tarot can be a very special way of, of, of practicing as well. Um, but one card a day is wonderful. Um, it could be really overwhelming if you're like, you know what, I'm going to read for myself and I'm going to put 10 cards down and try and figure this out. <laughs> Just baby steps. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. I, uh, I, I do. I, I struggle with, with three. So 10 would be absolutely. <laughs> yeah. I, I would, I, I couldn't do that. <laughs> It, it, you know, and sometimes if you do, if you ever say, you know what, I'm going to go into this, I'm going to take that deep dive, I am going to do a 10 card reading, find a friend yeah. to, to, to share that experience with. Because sometimes it's really fun to just sit down with somebody who's also learning tarot, and to kind of like, dissect the reading. Well, this position is supposed to represent the past. What would it mean to see this position in the past? Can you think of anything that that correlates with hmm. that happened to you? And just bouncing ideas off of each other is really nice. And it also creates a safe environment where, you know, you aren't talking to somebody in the public who says, you know, give me my lottery numbers or nope, that's wrong. <laughs> that could be very intimidating as well. Hmm. Have, have you found that through practicing tarot, you're and your understanding of uh, you know the supernatural and the paranormal has it has it helped with your 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 own ideas about what that sort of involves <laughs> um i i think that wow that's a really loaded question and Sorry, the way yeah. that i would no that's great no i i guess i've never thought of that but man that's really interesting so the tarot is really, you know, we've obviously discovered that the tarot can be very complex and there's layers upon layers of interpretations and meanings. And depending on where that card sits can make it mean one thing versus another. Man, I almost think it's the same with the supernatural. Uh, there's nothing easy breezy and simple when encountering the world of the supernatural and tapping into, you know, the esoteric world, there are so many layers. We just, we, we interact with it. And every single time we interact with it, it could be different from another time. So I, I, I guess that to answer your question, the tarot has made me realize that the world we live in is not just this five senses. Yeah, There's clearly something happening beyond this. And, um, we're not going to get it just by by going, okay, well, this science book says this. Um, we have to tap into something different. And I think that the blessing of tarot is that it allows us to to knock on that supernatural door. Yeah. I mean, I, I agree. I feel like when you're doing reading tarot cards, you're, you're engaging with your subconscious. And you know, if, if like me, you think, well, you don't see your subconscious as being sort of contained within your brain. It's something different to that. You're, you're engaging with something else, aren't you? You're, engage, you're engaging with the other, as it were. And so I, I guess if you're engaging with it, whatever it is, it can sort of notice that, I think. And you're, you're I think I found by doing tarot, you're, you're sort of opening yourself up to being someone who's more open to that sort of interaction, perhaps. I, I agree. I think that, I don't know who said it, but I'm sure that somebody in the paranormal field would be able to answer this. Whoever said, um, if you look at it, it looks back. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so tarot definitely does that. And there's, you know, you'll hear people who read tarot, they say it's draining. And um, I had a friend who was a fellow tarot reader and he actually stopped reading tarot. He said, man, I think reading tarot took, took, they, you know, took weeks or months off my life because <laughs> oh, no. yeah, you're just, it, it requires this monumental amount of energy that maybe we don't have a full understanding of. I don't know. Um, and by the way, too, I don't know if you hear cats in the background, but my cats are howling. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> it kind of distracted me. So I apologize. No, that's all right. We've um, had, um, we had dogs before, so this is kind of even. Oh, really? Up, so. <laughs> I, I my cat is just like what is going on 
she, maybe she wants a little bit of this stage too. Um, so anyway, anyways, going back to the tarot a little bit, um, you know, I think that the tarot really, I think that, that the more you engage with tarot or you engage with divination of any kind, or you just say, I, I really think that doing that says I am open to unusual opportunities. I am open to the supernatural interacting with me. So for better or for worse, I think that some people, like I said, like my friend felt extreme discomfort with it and said, I'm, I'm not going to read tarot anymore. Um, I, I kind of enjoy it. I, I think that it gives a profound feeling of there's more to life than this. There's, there's something going on. There's, so much unexplained just beyond what we see. And the tarot is just this vehicle to, to kind of tap into that and give and give a deeper and wiser meaning to what's going on in the present moment or, or, you know, you know, tarot is obviously used for exploring future. So it, I think it's really cool to use tarot and say, wow, this is, this is a great way of, of, of making decisions um, maybe mm. not the only way, but it, but it opens dialogue, which is important. Yeah. I, I get concerned when people are just like, well, I'm, I'm, I've had people who come in and they get reading after reading, after reading, after reading. And I was like, man, just, you know, take the information from a tarot reading and just mull over it. You know, think about it, brood over it, you know, <laughs> meditate on it pray about it, whatever it is, light a candle, whatever. Um, but use that as an opportunity to just have a conversation with yourself about what are the best next steps. Mm. So you've lived in America and you've lived in Europe. When you've done readings in those in the different places that you've lived, have they felt different? Can the place where you live inform what might happen with a reading? I, I, I think... In, in interesting ways, it's more of the, the the culture. I don't know if it's the the spirit of place that really informs the reading. Mm. Maybe it does, but I notice that it's the culture and how people interact with tarot is different. So I never read. I, I lived in France for a little bit of time, but I never read tarot there. Um, oh, okay. And I was a lot younger when I lived in France, but when I lived in England, I actually read read tarot a little bit, and um, I found that the people that I read for kind of were a little bit more quiet. Um, they responded to it differently. Um, I, I don't know if, if it's because the people that I was communicating with, I was, I was there for university. And, um, and so maybe it was just more of like a, you know, I'm just doing this to, to see what it's like. It wasn't like they were there to have this sort of spiritual experience, but just to observe and see what happens. Um, when I lived in the Northeast in America, it just felt a little bit more open-minded there for me. So when people got readings, they just were there to have the experience, but also to gain insight, to gain wisdom. And I think that maybe in the Northeast, uh, you know, in New England, um, there wasn't this idea that, that, that tarot was, was evil, <laughs> <laughs> which um, I tend to find in, in you know, in, in, in the South, there's a lot like um, of judgment passed on it. So reading in the South, um, you know, there are, uh, there are times where I just feel like I'm a little bit more closed off about what I do. Um, although, like I said to you earlier too, like Nashville is growing. It's a little bit larger. There's lots more transient people, but I've never openly just been like, Oh, I read tarot. Like I have to feel out my audience to determine whether or not it's something they'll be comfortable with or whether or not they'll, you know, ask me to go to church with them the following Sunday. So, um, I think that, that the tarot, when I do read it in specific areas, I, I think that that would be an interesting exercise. And actually you have inspired me when, when I travel, I'm traveling to Belize in January, maybe I'll bring my okay. tarot cards and, and just draw some cards and see how they interact with, you know, the spirit of place. So we'll be in Caracol 
which is in Belize. And then we're actually traveling over to Guatemala to to call. So maybe that's an, uh, yeah, I'm really, it's like, wow, this is like a lot. Um, You know, maybe I'll go ahead and, um, and pull some cards there and see what they have to say. Um, I, when I was on holiday last week, I went to Mexico and we went to Chichen Itza and I felt moved to take a few cards out. And there were, what I'll find too, is that I look at certain places now, or I look at certain situations or events and they remind me of different tarot cards. So, um, you know, when I was at Chichen Itza, I thought of the sun card because this pyramid is just like one giant calendar. Hmm. So yeah, it it could be interesting. Maybe you've inspired me. Now I'm going to have to go to like, every time I go on a trip, I'm going to pull cards and see what they say about the, the different neighborhoods I'm in. Oh, that's really interesting. I'm I'm fascinated by the idea that places retain a memory of the energies that are put into them. So somewhere like you, you where you've just been, I mean, that whole civilization had a you know a very complex religion and its and understanding of the cosmos. And I always wonder if even after that civilization is gone and all that's left are the buildings and whatever's sort of written on the on the walls, is the intent still there? And then. And I think about this too sometimes in terms of the supernatural. Is like, are we, is a modern society just experiencing remnants of of the kind of the cosmology and the ideas that a previous civilization had? It's just that they've gone, and and we're left with the with this sort of echo of of their belief system. Mm, I really, I love that. Like we're constantly, we're we're more empathetic <clears throat> than we think we are. And we are being on, on maybe some, maybe it's a genetic level, like a DNA level, or even just a spiritual level, we're being influenced by what they had done previously. Um, and I know at Chichen Itza in particular, um, we we couldn't walk on the buildings. Um, mm. So it's like those big pyramids, we couldn't step on the stairs. But I found that, that if you're intuitive or and this might be the the benefit of doing tarot or any other form of divination is that you sort of open yourself up to having those premonitions or those feelings. But there were definite areas where we walked and you could feel things. Um, and so, uh, you know, if you, there's this thing called psychometry and psychometry is when you touch an object and you're supposed to sort of see if you feel any psychic hits or get any premonitions. And that's something wonderful about going from different place to different places that, you know, like, for example, like I, I love Avebury, like Avebury was one of my favorite places to visit when I was in England and um, you could touch the stones. And I swear that when you touch the stones, you just have this warm sense of, of just devotion mm. to, to nature and to the land and, 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 and just, this, this wanting of growth and, and safety and security. And I, I did the same practice um, when I was in Chichen Itza, but I felt kind of neutral to it there. It was a different feeling. I just, I don't know, just maybe spiritually, I just didn't connect as deeply. I was also, <laughs> it was a lot of culture shock for me and there was a lot going on in a short period of time. So I really couldn't you know, sit down in lotus position and meditate amongst the pyramids. Right. <laughs> but, um, but, but I, you know, I urge listeners and, and even you, if you, if I know that, that you've, you've had somebody on who, who talked about stone circles, like if you, if you ever have the opportunity to go to maybe a sacred site or an ancient place to, to try and, and sit and maybe even touch the stone, um, if it's allowed, um, and, and see if you pick up on anything. Mm, definitely I mean I I remember that interview and what we were talking about a little bit was the sort of the phenomenology of these places of why they are where they are and it's a very it's a modern concept to try and understand why something is where it is where and you're what you're trying to do is you're trying to interpret the past from a modern perspective and it's it's hard to have that I, I think the best thing to do is like you say is kind of have a bit more of a tactile relationship with these places we're never going to actually fully understand why these sites were where they are, but you can get an, you can get a bit of an understanding of of what they are, can't you? I mean, they, a lot of them seem related to the sun and the moon, and some of them seem like they were sort of like a, a calendar that allowed people to know when to plant and when to 
when to harvest and, and things like that. And also some of them were just meeting spaces, but it's, but sometimes you can get a bit too bogged down, I think with, with the detail and, and perhaps the better thing to do is just try and, you know, engage with them on a more personal level. Yeah, agreed, agreed. Because, you know, we could, I could tell you everything that I learned from the archaeological perspective of, yeah. you know, for example, Chichen Itza. Like, actually, one of the cool things is, is um, about, and, and I'll just say this, um, about more of the archaeological aspect of Chichen Itza in particular. That massive pyramid, it's called El Castillo. It was built on a cenote. So there seems to be this need and and this this seems similar with a lot of ancient civilizations and sacred places not all of them but there there's this connection to water mm. so it seems that that there's this energetic potency by having water nearby so knowing that that this massive pyramid was near all of this water felt really really special um and the other cool thing that I found out about that pyramid too is that that is layer three. There are two other structures underneath that pyramid and they really, they don't know everything. And I think that's important to keep in mind too, is that, you know, there's limitations to what we understand archeologically and historically and having a tactile encounter or even a spiritual encounter with it can, can give you a personal connection and maybe more of a respect or appreciation for, wow, how, how beautiful these sites are. Mm, definitely. I mean, I've never been to Mexico or Central America. I, I would love to. I mean, it, it, it just looks like those places are so breathtaking. Yeah. Yeah, totally. It's, it's just interesting, but it connects too. It, I mean, there's so many sacred sites in England also that are just as beautiful mm. and, and profound and, yeah, maybe yeah. I need to go to them before I, I miss it. Hot foot to Mexico. <laughs> yes, yes. Have you been? Have you been? Have you been to Stonehenge and, and Avebury? I haven't. I I would love to. I'd also like to go to um, Orkney as well. There's some some fascinating oh, yeah. stuff up there as well. And yeah, but after my interview with with Andy, it, it did make me think. Well, I should really you know make, make more of an effort to to get out to these places. But it's, oh, it's for always sure. yeah, it's always yeah. something you, you you kind of want to do and then put off and then end up not doing it. Shame on me. You're like, wait, where did where did the month go? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, while we're on the subject of of uh, archaeology and ancient civilization, I did want to talk to you about the mound building culture in in the United States. As someone who's interested in archaeology, what sort of awareness is there of the Adena culture and the mound builders in general in America? I would say extremely minimal. And I would say minimal for me too. So um, really my first encounter with the mound builders was a couple years ago here. I'm in Nashville and in Tennessee, there are mounds. Um, and actually, believe it or not, there are mounds right down the road from Nashville. Um, and you can contact the state park and they will host a tour and you could go walk on the mound. Um and that was my first encounter with it. And I was so delighted to know that this sort of ancient archaeology, these ancient civilizations existed around me. I, I was really drawn to moving to England for that. Like, I loved the fact that in England there were stone circles and castles and these, um, you know, like Silbury Hill and mm. all these fascinating things. And I thought that it lacked in America. And I was just so delighted when I came back. I was like, oh, oh God, it's all around us. Mm. And I think it's really untapped. I, you know, um, in, where were we? Was it Indiana? The Cahokia Mounds are, I'm going to Google this right now. <laughs> Cahokia, like I was literally there in May and I can't even tell you what state it was in. And, and uh, Illinois. And I guess that that really, that, that speaks to how little we know about mound culture and ancient civilization that happened on North American ground. Um, Graham Hancock came out with a book this mm. year and that started to open up the topic. I'm going to see the name of his newest book. Um, Is that like America before or something like that? Yes, you got it. That's it. That's it. He came out with America before where he started to talk about the idea that, hey, 
maybe something was happening here prior to this sort of like idea that that, that humans came over here on that land bridge from mm. Siberia and came down um, from Alaska. And in the book, it, it, well, I haven't read all the book, but I was very, very fortunate enough where I got to listen to him um, share a lecture, actually not far from Cahokia Mounds, um, which is this mound site in Illinois, <laughs> not Indiana. Um, but, but I think that for him... These, these different mounds and these different um, sacred sites in the United States or in North America are really valuable and maybe offer clues and keys to things that, that, that have not been fully discovered or fully appreciated. So I, like I said, for me, um, sort of encountering ancient sites and sacred sites in, in the U.S. is this pleasurable brand new experience for me. Yeah. So um, this year we went to Cahokia Mounds, which is apparently it was one of the largest cities in North America. Um, and that was, let's see if I could tell you um, when it existed between 1050 and 1350 CE. So, I mean, in the mid in the middle ages in you know what i studied when i lived in in england i studied you know king arthur and all of that so when all that king arthur stuff was happening in england cahokia mounds was thriving in the the middle of of north america and then um this fall we visited a very very curious site in connecticut called gunji womp and it's one of those sites, again, where you contact the people who take care of the, the site and, and you set up a, a, a tour with them. You don't just kind of like traipse through it. Um, you're respectful to the, the land and the property. And um, they walked us through and there's like there's stone circles there. There's this really strange stone circle. It's small. It's not like like Stonehenge. When they told me Stone Circle, I was expecting like, oh, wow, there's like a Stonehenge in Connecticut. Um, it's very small, but it's shaped like a, it looks like a turtle. So to me, it's really been interesting because I've gone to all of these sites recently, but it wasn't taught to me. I never knew about it until I started engaging more with um, maybe people who like supernatural and paranormal things and, 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 you know, reading a little bit more Graham Hancock, all of a sudden I realized I was like, Oh my God, all this stuff exists here. Why wasn't it taught to me? So I think in general in the U S this stuff, just people don't know about it or they just, they're not as curious. Like what is this site really about? Um, I don't know. There's a lot going on here that, that is not tapped into like it could be. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, I read a book called Giants in America, which is all about the reports of people finding giant skeletons in, in America. <laughs> that is so awesome. Uh, it's a, yeah, it's a really, it's a, it's a really good book. It's, it's fascinating to sort of read these stories. Um, but one thing that I did see that was occurring a lot is that people would find some skeletons and then the Smithsonian Institute would eventually turn up and kind of do a dig and then take whatever was there off and, and uh, just hide it away, I think. Because like, as far as I'm aware, I, there aren't any giant skeletons in the, when you go to the Smithsonian in Washington. But, <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think they have, they have them in a vault somewhere hidden away, right? Yeah, yeah. I just imagine a Indiana Jones style, that, 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 the warehouse at the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh. There's just a... There's a big warehouse in America just full of so many sort of ancient artifacts from America's past. I know. <laughs> I know. And I think that that's something um, really interesting that you bring up too. A lot of people say that, that, you know, um, the giants that were discovered by people um, were just completely negated. And I actually I had a, a very interesting experience. There is a place in Tennessee where they say that they did find um the skeleton of giants and Mm -hmm. it was by um so the the giant i guess was found in the late age it seemed like the theme of 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 finding giants happened in the 1800s 
in America. Hmm. And maybe it was when, when America was expanding and moving out West and people started going into new territories that they were discovering these kind of unusual artifacts, we'll call it. Um, and one giant in particular, one giant skeleton was found apparently, apparently, I'll say allegedly or apparently, <laughs> um, by Old Stone Fort, which is in Tennessee, not far down the road from where they host Bonnaroo. And um, there's all these beautiful little rivers. And apparently the story goes that these people were, you know, kayaking or rowing a boat down the river and they found a cave um, by this old stone fort area and went into the cave and, you know, saw this skeleton and, 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 you know, that, so the story goes, yeah, you know, Smithsonian or whatever. There's nothing to see here. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, And, What's interesting is, is I went to Old Stone Fort, you know, because it's a beautiful place to hike, by the way. So if if you ever come to Tennessee or if anybody ever is listening and they're, you know, thinking about Tennessee, I highly recommend visiting. It's beautiful and very sacred. Actually, Old Stone Fort has hill mounds on it that were aligned to the summer solstice. So it was a sacred place and they apparently found giants on it. There is this little, I don't know, like a museum or a visitor center, Old Stone Fort. And I went in just to look for kind of like more curious information. Like, let's get some information on this, you know, the the alignments with the summer solstice. Let's get some information on giants. And I asked the lady working there if she had any information on the giants. And she just like shook her head at me. She just, she didn't even say, no, I don't have anything. She just shook her head and kind of had this smile on her face like she was she thought I was crazy (laughs) to ask or inquire (laughs) about it and it made me kind of embarrassed I was like sorry like I I feel weird but you know and I shouldn't feel weird that's a fascinating story you know we should dig into this like what's going on here there's more um there's more below the surface um yeah and and it was just kind of interesting that you know, all this stuff has apparently happened where I live in Tennessee now. And I went and tried to get the information and I definitely got brushed off and judged for it. <laughs> I, I guess at least you didn't get um, you didn't get any men in black knocking on your door. Or <laughs> saying, <laughs> not yet. Not yet. <laughs> Touch wood. Yeah, no, no, exactly. I would be terrified. Although, you know what? I always say my mother doesn't remember it. But when... Um, we were growing up, <laughs> we went to the grocery store and we saw two, what looked like men in black walking out. Like they were really weird, but like, why would they be at, well, we it's stop and shop here. So why would, why would the men in black be at stop and shop? But anyways, it's just this little quirky story. Like I swear that they were men in black, but my mother was like, I don't remember that happening at all. But <laughs> you know, maybe I was in a time warp or, or her memory got erased. We'll say that. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, yeah, well, the men in black can do that, right? Yes, so. <laughs> yes, they can. <laughs> but it's interesting going back to the that mound building culture. I'm I'm fascinated by uh, that that culture. They find mounds in states like Ohio and West Virginia, uh, Kentucky, and all over. And and these are states where some of the sort of classic American fortean events have happened. Things like Mothman and uh, you know the the Flatwoods Monster and the the, the goblins in Kentucky and things like that. And I always, I'm always kind of intrigued by the idea that, that these are something, these, these entities or whatever they are, are something that come from America's past, come from that civilization. And they're just sort of, they're, the, the people that brought them into our world have disappeared and they're sort of, well, they're like, where, where's everybody gone? <laughs> and they want to come back and they want to interact with people again. And they're, But they're just doing it like haphazardly and, and you know, scaring people and, going, <laughs> and appearing like a giant flying man and things like that. Well, I just, just that idea intrigues me. Yeah. And, and, you know, and, and a couple of things that, that it made me think about, too, is is the, the obviously the, the, the tragedy that happened with with the Native Americans here. Mm. And, and, and perhaps there was maybe that's the thing too, is that these cultures were pretty much wiped out, which I hate to bring up. I mean, but that's the truth. Um, and and I wonder what impact that had on the, the magic or the, 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 the spirit of space. 
Mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of tragedy. Um, and there is a lot of high strangeness. Um, <laughs> there's both. Um, and, and, and I also, the other thing I was thinking of as well that might have an influence on, on why these places have such weird high strangeness is the cave system. So you brought up the, 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 the Kentucky goblins. And I think that the TV show Hellier, um, I, I started watching it, but I haven't gotten through it that they go into the fact that there's this massive cave system in Kentucky called, um, the mammoth caves and, um, really weird. It's really spooky. Like it's spooky above ground. I'm a claustrophobic person. So spooky yeah. below ground times a hundred for me. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm not like the person that like wants to go spelunking, but I mean, it's interesting that there's all these cave systems in these areas where all this supernatural stuff is happening as well. Yeah. And also um, there's missing 411, which says that there's this correlation between where there are cave systems and where kind of like people kind of just go missing. Mm. So there's, there's a lot going on that we just don't see it. You know, it's very literally below the surface. (laughs) Yeah. And in lots of ancient cultures, their gods or, or the, or the supernatural entities they interacted with live beneath the ground in Ireland and in Scandinavia and all over the world, actually. The caves seem to be a place where you go and you you meet the other, don't you? Oh, for sure. And the uh, the underworld too is associated yeah. with that. So when we take that descent into the caves, it's almost this sort of symbolic descent into the underworld, or we're crossing into this other world where it, it's almost like upside down land for humans, isn't it? Yeah. So we we have this we have to play by a different set of rules um, and it's, it's not our, our, our dimension anymore. Yeah. So yeah, um, we're on their turf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and so I, I like to think that, you know, it wasn't just this sort of like symbolic experience ancient cultures were having when they were descending. Um I mean, it's, it's spooky in caves. Like there, surely there are things that are in the shadows there that we just don't have a full understanding of. There's something happening. And, um, God, that Flatwoods monster, you know, Flatwoods, it's it's Flatwoods, Virginia is West Virginia. I drove through there. (laughs) It's it's a small town. (laughs) (laughs) I think that they, and and then there's the Mothman in Pleasanton where, yeah. There's, there's so much happening, so much happening. And that is interesting too. We have a lot happening in the U S why, 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 you know, Mm. the Mothman. there's this, there's, um, there's tons of stuff in Tennessee too. There's something called the white screecher that's supposed to live out in the woods and let out this blood curdling scream. And, um, this, this creature was apparently associated with a very, violent event that happened in against guess what the 1800s right so yeah apparently this 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 guy came home from the civil war and and you know they didn't define it at the time but likely had ptsd and uh, really did a number out in the woods you know just just had a lot of violent issues apparently killed his family you know so so this sort of violent story rose from uh you know, that's actually, I'm sorry, I'm kind of skipping over, but I was thinking about it too. There seems to be a correlation between supernatural events and stuff that happens with humans. That's violent. Yeah. Yeah. So I think about that as well. And that makes me think of Gettysburg um, and different sites where violent things happened. And then all of a sudden, the repercussion is that we have these supernatural events. So are we tearing the fabric between our world and the other world by, you know, engaging in violent activity? I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it's a lot of, and the spilling of blood, I would say that's, that's got a, there's a tradition there, isn't there? In certain cultures of, of sacrificing in order to uh, placate or satiate something. And yeah, I always, I always think that, you know, if you're, you have to be careful if you're going to sort of, use blood in a ritual because whatever you're engaging with is going to get a taste for it <laughs> so i wouldn't mean i would never do it but you know if you're if you're engaging in blood sacrifice 
then yeah, whatever you're engaging with is gonna. I like this. I, I want more, please. And <laughs> I, I think the gods are satisfied with with um, <laughs> other with other offerings as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, yeah, of course. Absolutely. There are there are plenty of gods that are you know not into that at all. Yeah, but, um... and, and and maybe that says something as well. Is do do you want to engage with something that 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 requires this level of of discomfort and you know, I don't know what you put out. If you're discomforted, if you're uncomfortable, if you're if you're being put in a position where you don't feel comfortable, or you're doing something violent, what are you going to get in return <laughs> as a thank you? <laughs> yeah. So absolutely. Yeah. Cool. So um, anyway, let's get on to your book, A Curious Future. Okay, great. <laughs> I've just started reading it. I I really like it. Um, oh, thank you. And. I like I like that you start chapter one with sort of classic starter divination. But I'm I'm interested in when you were writing this book, how did you know where to start with when you're talking about the more esoteric uh, types of divination that are included in the book? Wow. Um, well, it, the interesting thing about this book is that it 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 came together maybe piece by piece. So it wasn't like I sat down and said, chapter one, this is what I need to do. And then I <laughs> wrote chapter two and then I wrote chapter three. Um, this book kind of developed over time because I write for a magazine called Which Way Magazine. And they had me... Um, do divination articles, which was great. I was assigned these awesome articles where I talked about divination. And I discovered in my research that there were all these books on divination, but these divination books covered things like palmistry, astrology, tarot cards, very, very um, main, as mainstream as they get, mainstream, very well-known, very well-used divination. And so my goal in collecting information for A Curious Future was to find that divination that maybe wasn't highlighted as much as the I Ching or wasn't revered as much as palmistry. And so in terms of chapter one, my goal was to kind of like, it, it's, it's almost like the warm up chapter. So it was like, let's first start by thinking about how do you, how are you psychic? Surely you're psychic. We're all psychic some way. How do you tap into that? You know? Um, and then, and then finding those, those tools that I think anybody can pick up and use. And it sort of stretches them out. It gives them that warm up, that, that taste of, of, of what's to come. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, one thing I, I get the idea is that with divination, it it's not something that you have to be wealthy to be able to do. A lot of the techniques that you talk about seem to be using things that are relatively everyday, like tea. Well, I know, I mean, tea is probably quite expensive up until recently, but, you know, little things that you can use that, that might not be exorbitantly expensive in order for you to be able to get them. That's, I think, the joy of, of divination is that you can honestly just use yourself. You could look up in the sky and divine with, with the moon or with the clouds or um, using things that you have on hand. Yeah, it, it, it's something any of us can use at any point. It, and, and the way I look at it, almost like the, 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 what did I write? I wrote this really great note. I said, in a nutshell, divination is the use of signs and omens to support decision-making. <laughs> mm. So, you know, it could be very, very deep. It could be, you know, having this like deep, you know, that 10 card tarot reading, or it could be pulling a few stones and saying, well, this stone represents love to me. So today I'm really going to focus on um, my, my relationship with my partner or how I express love to my friends. Um, so yeah, I, I love that it isn't it isn't something where you have to spend <laughs> like eight hundred dollars to get this fancy kit. You know, you you just go out and 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 you find whatever objects you're drawn to, whether it be you know, and that's what this book covers is like, do you like working with 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 stones? Do you like working with shells? Do you like do you work in the kitchen? Okay, we have a divination for that. <laughs> 
writing the book, was there something that you discovered that kind of resonated with you more than the other methods? Is there, is there something that you do you'd use for divination now that you didn't before you were writing the book? Um, wow. Yes, many, but there's one divination that I encountered that I'm really enchanted by and interested in, but I haven't done yet because I'm still building a set and that's bones. Um, Mm, yeah, (laughs) I, I never really before writing this book thought about a bone throwing kit, Um, it felt out of my league, believe it or not. It felt like this thing that was very, very foreign to me. And in doing the research for this book, I found that, that people that, that use bones to, to divine, some people will just build a collection of bones, but they'll also use special trinkets. And so I really felt good about that. And the thing that I felt really was special about the the bone divination too was that you were using objects that that carry this energy of the past. And so for me, it brings in that love of tradition, uh, ancestral worship, folklore, mythology, um, and, and reverence and respect for those things. All of that comes into a bone throwing kit. And so I haven't even started divining with that yet. Like I just wrote about it and I was like, this is how people do it. And I really encourage you to, to try it out. Um, my bone throwing kit has, has bones that I've gotten through um, different vendors. I, I really haven't found any on my own. Although I've seen some in the woods, I've always felt a little bit uncomfortable picking them up. Um, so, you know, I've, I've gotten them through different vendors, um, just at fairs and there's a shop in town that has them. Um, but I've also collected different things like stones from places that I visited. Um, somebody went out West. I've never been to, to West North America. Hmm. Um, and, and this person went to Oregon and, and found this like beautiful river rock. So I put that in my kit and then, um, you know, I found some trinkets that belonged to my grandparents and I added that to the kit as well. So I think for me, to answer your question, the bone divination was the one that, that that blew my mind the most. Even though I'm not doing it yet, I just love that it's this like practice that has taken a lot of time to to, to sort of create and put together. And someday I'll have a kit that I feel ready to to take out and, and allow people to to cherish with me. <laughs> Oh, well, that sounds nice. It's, it sounds like a very personal experience, isn't it? This this kind of thing, engaging with forms of divination and, and magic and things like that. Ultimately, it's always going to be quite personal, isn't it? Because it's it's yourself engaging with something that is sort of non-physical in a way. Yeah. But you and use physical means to help help with that, ironically, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. And I think you bring up a great point, too. Maybe there is something to be said about um having a form of divination that you are truly connected to. Um, if you develop a, um, a relationship with that divination, maybe the output is going to be even more profound, more strong, more reliable. Um, so it is, it's, it's an interaction that you have. I always say that my old tarot, I I had a tarot deck that I used for over 10 years and it finally retired. And it was almost like, I really call it its retirement. I I developed a very deep and personal relationship with the cards to the point where there would be days where I was reading it, reading with that deck. And I would say, wow, my tarot cards today just have no time for your BS (laughs) (laughs) or my, my cards today are feeling extra loving. Like they had a personality that developed over time. And, and, and that definitely helped create a very very special relationship that that benefited whoever got a reading from them Hmm. yeah i mean i i I like that idea the the idea of what are perceived to be inanimate objects having personality is something i definitely that chimes with me i I quite like it i I like it a lot actually yeah Yeah, I, i love the idea that we can put 
our energy and our intentions into that to create something and for better or for worse, I guess, you know, um, I like to stay, obviously like stay positive. That's one of my <laughs> mottos. So um, I love the idea that you can just hold on to an object and it could carry that, that, that energy for you. And there's, in talking about this, it made me think I have got, I got a reading from somebody who, who read tarot and while shuffling the cards, she actually made you breathe onto the deck, which I okay. thought was this incredible. I, I don't, I don't do that for my, my, for people who get readings with me, but, um, it, it makes me think like you breathe life, you breathe your energy into, into this object. And, and that creates sort of a, I don't know, like it charges it, it energizes it, it imbues it with your own form of magic. Hmm. One thing I, I, I remember from, from the book is that you talked about sometimes when you do a, a tarot reading, you will also complement that with a, with a rune casting. Can you talk a little bit about how those two systems can work together? Sure. Um, I think that, um, first of all, tarot is a highly compatible. It, it Tarot is lovely because like you could really use it with other forms of divination. So I know people who will use tarot, but they'll also have a pendulum. And they'll use a pendulum over the cards. Um to see is, is the pendulum responding to a specific card in particular. For me, I was obsessed with runes for some reason. I don't know when I turned about 18 or 19, I found runes and, and for some reason I was just really, really pulled to them. Maybe it was a past life experience. Maybe I just think they're really cool. I don't, I don't know, but I discovered them just, you know, just through reading and research in, in magic and witchcraft. And, um, I found they really spoke to me. I don't use them all the time. I only take them out on special occasions. Um, but what I do is, is I'll do a tarot reading and I do those, those, those hefty 10 card readings. <laughs> and when <laughs> we're done talking about the cards, I'll ask the person getting the reading to take the, the runes and hold them in their hands and just hold them and, you know, think about what, what, what's going on in their life. And, you know, if they have any other questions or if anything's going on. And then when they're done, throw the runes on top of the tarot and any runes that are, um, upright, we, we read anything that's down and I don't see the symbol. We just take it off the, 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 the cards, but it's really fascinating how it's complex and it's challenging, but I love the challenge of going, this rune means wealth. This rune means, uh, money and, and abundance. And it's sitting on top of a card that represents love. So what does that relationship between the two indicate? And so, so that's what I do is I, I just look to see what conversation would that rune have with that tarot card? Hmm. Yeah. And it's, it works. It works. It works for me at least. And um, it, it's, 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 fun it's challenging and i highly recommend that anybody who reads tarot and maybe they're feeling like they want a challenge or they want to bring another layer into their readings to make it a little bit more of a unique experience for whoever is getting the reading pull in another form of divination I, you know even if you have a bone kit if you if you if you throw bones see what happens if you use that hmm. you know in combination with tarot might be a really cool experience. It might not work too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Worth trying. I mean, yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, one thing it makes me think of is that you were talking about Helia in that in that first season. One of the investigators in that uh, Dana Newkirk does tarot readings while they're doing this investigation, and I I remembered that initially. I thought, well, that's that's unusual. Well, I mean, I not you know, I would, I was interested in tarot. I was like, I wouldn't, I wasn't expecting that. It's not, it's not a tool I would expect in terms of paranormal investigation at that time but the more i think about it i'm like well of course it could be used couldn't it i mean that's it's definitely got that potential but it's funny how something like that struck me as unusual but the more you think about it it's not and this is exactly the same isn't it you might some people might not think to kind of combine the runes with tarot but like you're just talking about they they do 
or can complement each other. And it's, it's funny how fixed ideas can still exist within what is supposed to be a, a an area that encourages open-mindedness. Yeah, that's the, yeah. And, and I see that too with, with divination even, um, you know, especially with runes, um, there seems to be a battle between the esoteric interpretations and the academic interpretations. Hmm. Um, you know, and it could it could be said about anything where you know, and even with age, like there's some sort of ageism involved as well. Like if this is a new form of divination, it can't be as good as this old form of divination. Yeah. I think ultimately you have to use the tool that works best for you. And I love the fact that Dana uses tarot and her paranormal investigations. Yeah, there are people that use, yeah, people use divination tools and investigations, um, dowsing rods. People use dowsing rods all the time. Um, not, it's not my particular cup of tea, but some people do use spirit boards. Um, so divination tools are not new to paranormal investigations. I, I, if that's the tool that works for her, that's awesome. And I think that's really cool. I think that Mm. if, you know, if you're, if you're well-versed in tarot and you're using it in an investigation, wow, that could give you a lot of information. You Mm. could see who are you talking to? What happened to you? Uh, you know, um, is this safe? Is this something that I should probably pack up and go home? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I could see that that could really create a very enriching experience. I'd love to try it. I actually built out a tarot spread to, to, to attempt in a paranormal investigation. Um, and that will be in the January edition of which way magazine. So if anybody's interested in seeing it or trying it, yeah yeah definitely yeah so what's next for you after this book do you have another book in mind or are you right for the magazine for a bit i have a lot a lot going on it's almost like behind the scenes stuff so um i have a ghostwriting job that i am going to be starting um and then i am going to be doing a lot with the magazine um in terms of just helping them build their brand and 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 do some some big extracurricular projects for them um for me personally um i have some ideas for next books but what i'm most interested in doing is actually putting out a second edition of the first book that i wrote um which is no longer available to purchase. And it's not that I don't love it or I don't want people to read it, but I look at it and it's grown. Hmm. And so what I really want to focus on personally is just kind of um, building that book out a little bit. So the cool thing about A Curious Future is that it's this really petite book. It's, it's a lot of information in a compact space. And the first book that I wrote is really long. It's really thick. There's a lot going on. And I just feel like it just, it just needs some, some attention, some renovations. And I'm, I'm actually looking to see if I can, I don't know if there's a publisher that wants to pick it up or, you know, so those are really the big projects for me is, 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 um, renovating i'll call it renovating book one um, right, yeah. the ghostwriting project and you know um i, I try and, and and dip into some social media stuff too so i'll you know put blog posts up every now and then i do a lot of kitchen witchcraft and, and tarot readings and um i'm trying to expand a little bit and do a little bit about the traveling that we talked about um so I do some work with Liminal Earth. I know you interviewed them as well. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was a great chat with those guys. It's a, it's such an interesting project. Yeah, it's so cool. It's I just I love the idea of people being able to open up this map um, by going to their website and going, "What kind of weird stuff has happened around me?" Um, and and um, so I support their networking in Tennessee. Um, and a lot of weird stuff happens here. So I'm trying to do a little bit of that as well. I'm, I'm kind of busy. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. I'm a busy person with lots of projects going on while working full time. <laughs> no, it's um, more power to you. It sounds like uh, you're, you're making the most of, of, your, of your interest in this kind of stuff. 
Absolutely. I, 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 and I want people to just, I, I'm so grateful for, for what you do as well, because I think that, that, that we just need to get it out there, that there's a lot going on in this world that is unusual and mm. intriguing and mysterious and let's, let's embrace it and, and, and talk about it openly and, and enjoy the fascination and the curiosity of it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, since I started doing this podcast, I I feel like I've become part of a community of people who are sort of similarly minded to myself. And before that wasn't really the case. I mean, my my friends would sort of indulge me when I wanted to, when I went on a bit of a riff about Mothman or or Jeff the Mongoose or something like that, you know, they're like, okay, okay, Rick, you know, that's that's, that's fascinating, but let's just, uh, just, uh, (laughs) but now I, now I'm, I'm, you know, I've got a, a network of friends who I can talk to about that stuff. And it's been, it's been great. It's, it's really good. Yeah, it is. It's really awesome when you know that there are people out there that will listen to you talk about the strange sounds that you heard or your obsession with some sort of like weird cryptid that yeah. you just discovered. Um, it is. I always find that too, that even in social situations too, like I, I want to skip over the small talk and go right to, you know, when's the last time you saw a ghost? <laughs> Have you seen yeah. a UFO? So, um, yeah, I just the the more the more people out there bringing life to these topics, the better. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kiki, I think that's a a brilliant way to end this episode. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such a joy talking to you, and thank you for what you do. Oh, well, thank you for what you do. <laughs> ah. <laughs> anyway, um, if people want to find out more about you and your work, how can they best do that? Um, the best way to do that is, um, probably going to my website, kikidombrowski.com. But if that's too much of a mouthful, you could find me on Twitter at kikid333 or on Instagram at Kiki's Cauldron. Cool. Well, I'll make sure to include that in the show notes. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Cool. Thanks, Kiki. Thank you. I'm sure I've mentioned this before. But one of the best things about the podcast is how it's allowed me to get in touch with so many brilliant, interesting people and make new friends along the way. That was such a fun chat with Kiki. We managed to cover quite a lot there, I think, though I did notice that it took me a while before we got to talking about her book. So I think I might have to have her back on to talk in more detail about A Curious Future, as it is a book packed full of fascinating information. If you haven't got it already, I definitely recommend it, as I think it's a must-have for any 14 bookshelf. Well, this is the final episode of 2019. Some of the sphere is just over a year old now, and it's been a pleasure to work on from the very start. Thank you to all the wonderful guests I've interviewed, and also to everyone who has supported the podcast by listening, downloading, subscribing, or recommending it on Twitter. It's all greatly appreciated. I wish you all a fantastic Christmas and a wonderful new year. See you in 2020.